So um, we are in the book of Acts once again, and if you do have your Bible app, Uh, or your physical Bible, or you're following us online, um, we are going to be in the book of Acts chapter 16, and uh, we have been going through the book of Acts, and we've been talking about the idea of going back to normal, uh, because it's something that we all want to have happen, but we, I think we all know that it's not really going to happen, that we're never really going to go back to normal, but the, the cool thing, I guess, about that idea is that as a follower of Jesus, we are never uh, supposed to necessarily be in a place of normal because God is in the business of shattering our normal uh, and wrecking that and, uh, and, and reshaping it into uh, what he wants to do with us through the Holy Spirit. And, um, and it's an awesome thing because God is in the business of breaking the cycle of normal, as I like to say. And so as we've been journeying through the book of Acts and the start of the early church and Now we're about three quarters of the way, I guess, through the book of Acts, maybe a little less than that. Um, And we see the Holy Spirit involved every step of the way. And we talked last week a little bit about how every step of the way that there is opposition from the enemy, but there is also intervention of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen that every step of the way. And I'd be willing to bet that you could say you've seen that in your life as well, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you've seen opposition from the enemy, yet intervention from the Holy Spirit and from God, and maybe we haven't had our eyes open uh, well enough to always see the intervention of the Holy Spirit, but, but it's there, and we're gonna see that again because the Holy Spirit is involved every step of the way. And you know, as we're talking about the early church, and we've seen the setup of the early church through, uh, through the first uh, three quarters of the book of Acts, it's an interesting paradox of the early church and, and the church as it should be today, quite frankly, because it is a Jewish messianic movement but at the same time, it is ethnically diverse. And you've got men, women, rich, poor, slave, free, all treated as equals in this movement, all loyal to Jesus Christ, as, as we should be, but not a military threat, as the people back in the day liked to, to try to say, but it wasn't. It was a message of peace, because Jesus brings a message of peace. And so the early church, all they could really be accused of is not meeting the status quo, which is an interesting thing that I think we can relate to in our what is not normal now um, and in this era that we're living through here as well. Uh, The end of Acts chapter 15, we ended last week in uh, in around about that area, um, and we followed the first journey of Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church in Antioch, and they were the best and brightest at the church. And they were sent out to start to fulfill the last part of Acts 1.8, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so they started their missionary journey to reach the ends of the earth. And, and this began with them traveling around and planting churches. And we looked at that last week. And And so we come to the end of Acts 15 today where Paul and Barnabas um, actually decide to part ways. They have a disagreement over a a few things. We don't know exactly all of the disagreements, but essentially Barnabas and Paul say... You know, we're going we're gonna to go our separate ways. Barnabas takes John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, and they go one way. And Paul picks up a guy named Silas to join his team. And they decide uh, to head back to some of the churches that they've started, uh, that, that Paul had started to visit them and strengthen them and encourage them. And so essentially, uh, another missionary journey of Paul begins here. And um, they head out through modern-day uh, Turkey and into Greece, and then they swing back through the Mediterranean Sea, and they finish up in Caesarea in Jerusalem, uh, and then back to Antioch, which is the home church that they were sent from. 
Um, and this is about a three-year journey in total. But the story today we're going to look at actually takes place toward the beginning of that journey in Philippi, in the city of Philippi. And, uh, and there is um, a moment where uh, Paul, a young man named Timothy, they pick up with them and join their team and ask him to come along with their team to walk with them, which is a really cool thing because remember, you've got Luke who is writing the book of Acts, okay? So Luke is the guy that's, that's with them writing all this stuff down um, and writing all the details down. And then you've got Paul and Silas that are, that are journeying here and they bring Timothy along with them who is a young man who interestingly enough has a lot of the same ethnic background as Paul. You may remember that we've talked about how Paul um, has a Jewish background, and he's also a Roman citizen because he was born to be a Roman citizen. And Timothy has some of those same characteristics. And so Paul sees in this young man uh, something that, that can be invested in, and, and he sees the next generation. And it's interesting because Paul already is investing in the next generation. He saw the impact that Timothy could have and was having and could be, yet he was raw and he needed brought along and he showed him the ropes in many ways and brought him along and said, hey, you may not be ready, but we're, we're, we're going. He, and he kind of threw him in and said, let's go um, and, and showed him the way. You know, Paul was looking for young people to bring alongside, to empower and to push forward. And I would encourage you to do the same. If, if you've been a believer for a while, um, maybe you're seasoned, as we like to call it. Um, but, you know, one of the greatest joys and greatest rewards is investing in the next generation to change a young person's normal for the glory of God. As somebody that was a youth pastor for 11, 12 years, I can just tell you that that is one of the coolest things to have ever been a part of and to continue to be a part of is investing into the next generation, watching God change their lives in amazing ways to, to see them do awesome stuff moving forward. I give you our youth pastor, Mikey McVeigh, um, just beaming with pride when, when, uh, in, in all the right ways. Um, when, I, when I see this, this man and seeing where he, come, where he came from, being able to invest in the next generation, and now he's doing the same as our youth pastor, which is an awesome thing. But you know, it's one of the main reasons for the phase two building, for the additional building that, that we need to build out there, and the storage building is a, is, a, is a part of that, but it's crucial to our future and to the vision that God has given us. And we see those principles laid out even back in, in the book of Acts where Paul invested into the next generation as soon as he possibly could. And the payoff um, was unbelievable. Um, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, and we're going to be starting in verse 16. At the beginning of 16 is where we see Paul bring Timothy on, and, uh, and we're going to be uh, starting in verse 16 here. And uh, it's an interesting story. And you may wonder where I'm going a little bit at the beginning of this, but it's important to see. So beginning in verse 16, in Acts chapter 16, I'll be in the NIV today. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, and by we, um, we're talking about the whole team here, right? So we're talking Luke, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, 
they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So I want you to see how and why Paul and Silas were put in prison because an amazing, things happen, amazing thing happens here when, when we read on. But So at the beginning of this, we see that a demon-possessed woman is actually speaking on Paul's behalf and essentially Paul gets sick of it and asks her to stop. But her message was true. This is an interesting thing about it. The message that, that she was saying was true, but the medium was all wrong. She's a fortune teller, and she's, and she's possessed, and she's working on behalf of others and all of this. And so while the message was true, the medium was all wrong. It's the exact reason why you would never catch me doing an interview for Playboy magazine. If I'm going to speak the gospel, even in that interview, that's the wrong medium to do an interview in. It's just, it doesn't make sense. We need to be wise and discerning the way that Paul was here because a, a, a little lesson for us to learn from this particular piece of the story is that having ministry publicized by something that is contrary to the message of Jesus makes no sense. It makes no sense. Using a worldly source to communicate the gospel can really be a slippery slope. It really can. And, and that's why we need to be careful now, granted, we use Facebook. I'll give you that as an example. We use Facebook, and we're going to continue to use Facebook. That can be a slippery slope, but we use it in a very careful, calculated, prayerful way. But at the same time, seven out of nine people are on Facebook. And so why would we not be there if we're going to share the gospel with the world? Of course, it makes sense for us to be there. But we have to think through how we use it, and we need to be careful about that. And, and we are, and, and we do. But I want to challenge you, though. I want to challenge you a little bit here to think through your posts, your comments, your likes and dislikes or mean faces or whatever. I want to challenge you to think a little bit through the slippery slope that things like that can be. Because we, we learned from Paul here, while, while the message was right, the medium was wrong. And there's a right way and a wrong way. And as I've said before, I've never really seen anybody thoroughly convinced of anything because of an argument on Facebook. I don't know if you have. If you have, I would love to know, but I highly doubt it. But I want to challenge you to think through your posts like Paul and to be careful, to just be careful because it can be a slippery slope. And remember that Satan considers you a threat. If you're a follower of Jesus, Satan considers you a threat. And he's going to use any means necessary to try to pull aside what you are doing for the kingdom of God. He'll use any means necessary to, talk, to tear down the cause of Christ. And you need to realize that he has acts of desperation that he throws out there all the time. There is desperation by the enemy. He is desperate to pull you down, drag you down, and beat you up. Paul ran into this often, all the time, as we've already seen. But when we continue to follow the Lord and we follow his calling on our life, we might find ourselves getting beaten in some way, shape, or form. Paul and Silas definitely did here. But when you find yourself beaten, it means that Satan considers you a threat. 
He does. But I want you to look at this verse in Isaiah, just a quick sidebar for a second. In Isaiah 54, verse 17 says, no weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. See, when Satan and his demons seem to have your number, it means that they're threatened. But you need to remember who has your back. Remember who has your back. Let's continue the story here with Paul and Silas. So they're in prison, right? They're sitting in prison. They're in the inner cell. They're chained up, chains around their feet, and they're chained up. And here's what happens. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Okay, so they're in prison and they're most most likely going to be executed the next day. And so at midnight, they decide, let's have a praise and worship service. And they start singing and praising God. And you know, God directs our lives in an amazing way when we are in a posture of praise and prayer. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in in a way that God can direct our lives simply by beginning from a posture of praise and prayer. You may be feeling in your life right now that you're trapped and you may be saying, I'm trapped and there's no way out. Paul and Silas certainly were in that position. I'm trapped and there's no way out. And you're saying, I don't know what to do. I'm trapped, I'm in this place, and I don't know what to do. Can I give you just a little bit of a maybe suggestion that's straight from God's word? And it's this. Stop gripping and start singing. And I know that sounds funny, but I really want you to think about it because we do. We, we start gripping and we start freaking out and we start having all this anxiety over things that we can't control. And it's amazing what the Holy Spirit will do in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds when we first put ourselves in a posture of prayer and praise to God, regardless of the situation that you're in. It might sound stupid, but you're going to remember this. But wait until you read the rest of the story and and what happens here. And you see the power of praise and worship that begins right there. It says the, the prison walls shook. Right, And the people there, they had probably never heard anything like this before. I can't imagine that they did. The prisoners that were in there were like, yeah, the last guys that were in here, they started singing too. No, I really doubt it. This was not normal, all right? This is not a normal thing. But the impact that was made here was eternally significant, and it started with praise and worship. It started with praise and worship. An earthquake rocked the prison. The chains fall off. The doors fly open. Listen, praise and worship, the music time that we have, that we plan into our service every week, it's not just something that we do to fill time. It's not just something because, you know, we like how it sounds or, or whatever. All those things are great. And yeah, our band is killer and they're awesome and they kill it every week. And, and that's an amazing thing. But you know what? We, we do it with intentionality and we do it on purpose because it makes a difference. It's not just something we do to fill time. Music is a language to a lot of us. There has been so many times in my life, and I'm sure your life as well, where a song, God spoke to me through a song more than he ever did through a sermon. I'm not under any pretenses to think that the music isn't just as much a part of of preaching the message every single Sunday 
as any words that come out of my mouth because God uses music in such amazing ways. And the power of praise and worship is not something we take lightly. It's just as much a part of the preaching here at Connect Church every single week. And we find that backed up in scripture right here and in various other places. Look at the impact that worship makes on this entire situation as we go through, because it started there. It started with praise and worship. Look as we continue going through. Look what happens here in verse 27. It says, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So the jailer begs to Paul, shaking, what must I do to be saved? This is how God wants our lives to be, as natural magnets to the, to the gospel of, of Christ, natural magnets drawing people to him. Our Christianity, the way in which we live our, our faith out, should be something that makes others want to have with God what we have with God. It should be an infectious thing. And for the Philippian jailer here, Paul, Paul didn't direct him to counseling. He didn't sit and tell him about the sacraments or give him some lesson on theology. He pointed him right to Jesus. An obviously repentant man pointed him to faith in Jesus. Repent from your sin and you will be saved. See, the circumstances that were there said escape. I know if, if I'm there, think about if you're there, you're in jail, you're singing, earthquake hits, your chains fall off, the doors fly open. How come you didn't, you, you didn't leave? I'd have been like, peace, I'm gone. No, they stuck around. And interestingly enough, everyone in the jail stuck around. I don't know if they just needed to finish the song that they were singing or what was going on. Like, we're only on the first chorus here. I don't know what's, what, what exactly was happening. But they stuck around. I'll tell you exactly why they stuck around, though, is because they knew, Paul knew, what was going to potentially happen to the jailer. And he was more interested in what was going to happen to, to somebody and, and the rest of the people that were there than he was with his own self, uh, self-worth, I guess, or, or, or self-preservation. And we're going to get to that here in a second. But, you know, the circumstances said escape, but love, love said to stay for the sake of this one soul. And so they did. They stuck around. They weren't guided by circumstances. They were compelled by love. They were compelled by the love of Jesus for other people. The love and acceptance of Jesus is the real get out of jail free card. That's the real get out of jail free card. And the power of the Holy Spirit shows us the way out. Let's continue this story here in verse 32. It says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, meaning the jailer, and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. An entire household, an entire family's world was changed for eternity because Paul and Silas sat still for a few minutes. Because 
they were not concerned with themselves, they were concerned with the soul of somebody else. The entire direction and eternity of a family changed through a situation that began with horrible odds. And much of it started because of praise and worship. Here's another thing that I love about this and and is very great for today. Because they saw no reason to wait to be baptized. They put their faith and trust in Jesus and, and they were baptized right then and there. The whole family, the whole family was baptized right then and there. They heard, they saw, they repented, they believed in Jesus and they represented that decision through baptism. And it's great that Luke included that in in the writing part of it because he didn't have to, but he did. He threw that part in there because baptism represents new life in Christ. That's why. That's why he included it in there. Baptism represents new life in Christ. And that's why it's such a significant thing. It's such a significant thing. It's why it mattered to the jailer and his family. It mattered to the jailer and his family for them to do that because the jailer knew The jailer knew that he was done, and I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. But he knew that their entire, that that his job was toast, and he was probably gonna be on the run for the rest of his life, potentially. But it mattered to Jesus, and that's why it's such a big mile marker in our walk with Jesus, that the moment that we are baptized, that is why a service like today matters so much, because it's a celebration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work in the newness of life. It's a representation of that. It doesn't make you saved. It doesn't make you more or less saved for you to be baptized. There's, there's nothing special in the water other than chemicals and such, because, yeah, because we should. Um, but there's, there's nothing, like, magical in the water. It's what it represents. It represents that buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection, it's, that, it's, that, it's, it's what it is showing. You are showing the world that you are following Jesus. And it's, and it's a very vulnerable position if you really think about it because you're getting completely wet and, and the representation of washing away that old life and being raised to new life in Christ. It's such an amazing thing. Here's the deal though with Paul and Silas. Do you realize, and maybe you didn't do the math on this, they could have avoided all of this. They could have avoided all of it. And if you skip down to verses 35 through 40 in there, if you want to read that later, you'll see that they actually played that card later on. They could have played it much sooner. I've mentioned before that Paul's uh, citizenship as a Roman citizen, he used that to his advantage. And he does in certain areas, and he does here, but he didn't early. He could have played that card earlier and been completely, he, he wouldn't have had to go to jail, he wouldn't have gotten flogged, any of those things but he didn't. The Holy Spirit guided and directed him and he waited because Paul was at a point where he was saying, I don't care what happens to me, but when it comes to my brothers and sisters, I will do whatever I can to cover and protect them. That's essentially what he was saying. Most of us would have, would have looked out for ourselves and we would have played that card super early. No, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't, you, you can't do this to me. He does play that card later, as I said. And they actually kind of apologized to him in many ways. But, you know, Paul and Silas, they did the opposite. They did the opposite. You might be saying, you know what, it's fine for you to talk about beating up for your faith. I get it. You're the pastor, of course. You can talk about that. But you know what, I'm being beaten down 
I'm being beaten down by my family. I'm being beaten down by, by my marriage, by my, by my job, by my lack thereof job um, at, at this point. I'm being beaten down by school. I'm, I'm being, maybe, maybe you feel like you're being beaten down by circumstances that you've even, you know, mistakes that you've made or whatever. You fill in the blank there. But you know what? There is hope for each and every one of us today. There is hope for you today. And we, we can see that through the story of the jailer. He was beaten down just like you. Roman law said that the prison guards were to serve a sentence that was equal to the prisoners if they were to escape, which is why he knew his head was going to roll when he saw the prison doors wide open. That's why he went and grabbed a sword and he was going to take his own life because he knew it was just a matter of time anyway. He started gripping. He started freaking out a little bit. And then Paul stops him. Paul stops him, as we read, and, and he knew what was going to happen to the jailer. Paul knew what was going to happen, but he stayed behind because he knew that God gave him an opportunity to make an impact, an eternal impact on someone. And so he took that opportunity. And just like I've said before, and like Scripture reiterates over and over again, this is another perfect example we don't give up on anyone. As followers of Jesus, we don't give up on people. Paul didn't give up on anybody. He didn't give up on him. Just like Jesus doesn't give up on you, and Jesus doesn't give up on me. The most important thing to Paul in that moment and in virtually every moment since his change on the road to Damascus was sharing the gospel with anybody and everybody that he possibly could because he knew that eternity was more important than the temporal that we're going through here. And that's why the connection point for the morning is that the gospel is what really matters. The gospel is what really matters. We put ourselves and we put our stuff over the things that really matter. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is what really matters. And it can matter to you in a variety of ways. Whether maybe it's somebody that, that God's put in your life that you can reach out to, maybe it's that. And maybe you need to realize that the gospel is what really matters and maybe you do need to take a risk to talk to and, and reach out to that person that God's put in your life. Or maybe it's on the other side of it. Maybe, maybe you feel beaten down. You say, I'm beaten down and broken right now. Look, know this, that God is going to work through your present situation if you let him. God is going to work through your present situation if you let him. God will work for you to bring you to himself. And that's not always fun and it's not always easy. Sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's painful. But God will use your present circumstance to bring you to him. And if you're beaten up and beaten down, be confident that Satan is being beaten back by the back of Jesus that was beaten for you. Let me say that again. Be confident that Satan is being beaten back because of the beaten back of Jesus that happened for you and for me. Be confident in that. The Father laid on the back of Jesus your sin and my sin so that we could be forgiven and we could be set free and we can be wrapped in the righteousness of God. 
Would you bow your heads? God the Father paid the price for you and for me by sending his son and allowing him to be beaten so that you and I could be healed. And the Father is equally committing, committed to doing great things through you, with you, for you. So if you're feeling beaten down right now, can I just encourage you and say, keep your chin up and know that Satan has been beaten back through the beaten back of the Son of God. Don't be guided by your circumstances. Be guided by the love of Jesus. You know, the church at Philippi was actually planted out of this circumstance that we read about today. And I believe that the jailer and those in jail were all a part of that church. And Philippi actually became one of the strongest churches, and later we, we see that it, it, it gave us the book of Philippians. I'd encourage you to read that this week. But if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I don't know what you've been waiting for. Maybe you have been waiting for it. Maybe you've never heard the story before about how God loves you so much and he wants to set you free. And maybe whatever circumstance you're in, you don't feel like you can handle it. You feel like you're, you're, you're totally chained up. Can I just encourage you to stop gripping, start singing, put yourself in a posture of praise and prayer and ask the Lord to take care of it and see what he does. It may not happen right now. It may not be some earth-shattering moment, but it might be. It might need to begin right here, right now with you giving your life to Jesus. And if you have given your life to Jesus, maybe, maybe it's a recommitment moment. Maybe it's a recommitment time. Boy, what a, what a great time to do it. But if you've not given your life to Jesus, could I just ask you to consider that? God created you to be with him. And it's our sin that separates us from him. We can't remove our sins by the good, thing, good deeds that we do. Baptism doesn't wash our sins away either. We can try and try and do good things to earn our way to heaven, but it's just not going to work. Jesus paid the price for you and for me by sacrificing himself on the cross. And he rose from the third day to conquer death and hell for you and for me to conquer sin. And that free gift is available to anyone and everyone and life with Jesus can start right now and last forever. And I would just encourage you to, to cry out to the Lord right now and put your faith and trust in him. And I would love to pray with you and I know that we've got some people that would pray with you as well so that you can be 100% sure. And I'll even go this far to say that if you've never been baptized, if you've maybe put your faith and trust in Jesus and you've never been baptized, let's do it today. Maybe you didn't come here planning to get baptized today, but that's okay. We will figure out dry clothes. We've got towels. Let's make it happen today. If the Holy Spirit is pushing on you right now to come out of your seat and to be a part of this baptism service, I want to encourage you and let you know that, that not only is that okay, but we're going to celebrate that. We would love for that to happen. Jesus, I love you and I praise you, Lord, and I thank you so much that through your Holy Spirit, God, that our chains can be set free. Lord, if we will just give it over to you. God, I pray that you would um, move in a mighty and powerful way 
today. Lord, I know that there are some decisions that need to be made in this room and those watching online. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move and you would continue to move. I thank you for those that are gonna be baptized here in in just a minute. And Lord, as we celebrate the newness of life that we see represented through baptism, God, I, I pray that it would not only be inspiring to all of us, but challenging as well to reach out to those around us and be willing to put our comfort aside because the gospel is what really matters. Lord, again, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would press on them. And Lord, even if there's a few here that haven't been baptized, but they've put their faith and trust in you, but they've not taken that step of baptism, Lord, maybe they'd be willing to jump out of their, of their seat today, right now, and come forward to be baptized. Holy Spirit, move. We ask you to move. In Jesus' name, amen.